guys welcome to another episode and thank you so much for tuning in so i thought i highlight a few things from the conversation with my guest in this conversation my guest and i are talking about black women in business and successful strategies to grow your business you know i was taking notes furiously during this conversation and there's just a few things that i would like to highlight your first thing being that my guest said you should trust yourself and your vision Second, she talks about work hard for yourself as you would for other people. Third thing she says is trust in other women in business. Guys, those of us who are women, I hope you're taking notes. I hope you're listening. It is huge that we are supporting one another. I think that there's just a special blessing that comes with other women who support other women in business or in anything else in life as a whole. The last thing that she talks about that I want to highlight is it's okay to be selfish in the execution of your goals and your plan. I think this is huge. I think this is something that we women, we don't do very well because we tend to put ourselves last. We are natural caregivers, natural persons who take care of the family and everybody else around us. So we typically don't put ourselves first. We put ourselves last. So when you are looking to pursue your dreams, looking to pursue that ambition or that goal of starting something, just prioritize yourself and your ambition thank you for listening and i hope you enjoyed the episode in today's episode my guests and i are discussing women in business tools and strategies to grow a successful business my guest is nilo and she is an accomplished and successful small business owner here in edmonton now nilo has done so much so bear with me as i try to read some of the things she's accomplished she is first and foremost very passionate about promoting other entrepreneurs here in our community she has grown her business from 3,000 sales to six figures she's the founder and owner of aphrodisiac natural shop which offers service and products for locked and loose afro texture hair she runs a magazine called melanistic magazine which features a new take on edmonton's ethnocultural lifestyle with particular focus on the black experience nilo is also a fellow podcaster and co-hosts the black multiverse fury podcast a podcast that analyzes global current events music, books, art, and answers questions on natural hair. She's also a storyteller and an author and is behind the upcoming Afro-Indie Book Fair showcasing the work from a variety of Black authors here in our community. Did I manage to capture the essence of your accomplishment? I hope I did some justice to it, Nilo. That was pretty good. So the Afro Indie Book Fair will be in March. That will be a digital presentation, but we will have another one we're thinking in July, and that will be in Calgary. So we just kind of had some conversations about being able to have a physical event. Yeah. Well, welcome to the Unfiltered Real Talk podcast, and thank you so much, Nino, for giving me your time. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I like to give you a chance to just tell us a little bit more about yourself, um, your background, and why you're interested in today's conversation around women in business and how to grow a successful business. I was born in Guyana in South America and was raised in a family of entrepreneurs, even from my grandmother making snacks, making um, creams and lotions 
and soaps and all a lot of the things that I do now uh, as well. That got handed down to my father, who was also an entrepreneur. I grew up with him many years just doing different things. He had an Mm -hmm. art gallery. He also had a restaurant here in Edmonton, a Caribbean restaurant. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So when I had graduated university and was kind of working. I was in New York at the time and I was working for Grant Associates who held a contract for the Bloomberg administration. Just really kind of corporate. So you've always been in business, like it's in the blood, like you've just had that entrepreneurial spirit, I guess. Yeah, I think so in a sense. I see that a lot with my daughter as well, because I guess she grew up seeing me do those things. But as of about 10 years ago, mostly in business, I was helping small business owners on behalf of, at the time, the city of New York. How did you, I guess you've told us a bit about how you were inspired by your dad and your grandmother. Did you always know that you would target your business for Black people, Black experience? Um, No, I don't think so. I think I always knew that I would be in business for myself somehow, and I didn't really know what that was. So it takes a little bit for to you to like circle and figure out exactly what you're going to do. Um, for me specifically, it was essentially divine intervention. My older sister, who's 20 years older than me, came to New York one day when I was feeling particularly, I guess I was feeling a bit like I had to move on from what I was doing, but I didn't know what was in the abyss, but I knew mm. that I had to sort of leave this world of um, corporate America And uh, my sister at the time is the one who mentored me in this particular business doing natural hair. So in terms of shaping, being a natural hair care specialist, and she also has her own product brand as well, that I mentored with her for about five years before I was like ready to do it myself. Like, how did you come about knowing that you were ready? Like, you were with your sister for five years like how how did how does one know that how do you know you're ready to like start your business so in speaking to you I am romanticizing a lot of (laughs) the process and of the journey Um, a lot of it was trauma forced a lot of things happened in life that was like oh you cannot do this you have to do this for me all our father had passed away And that changed, that was in about 2013, and that sort of changed a lot. So family stuff kind of got a little complicated, and I left the business slowly at that point and started figuring this out while I was still in, this was actually in North Carolina at the time, in Durham, North Carolina, had a, that was where my first shop was. I kind of stumbled forward At the point that I moved back here to Edmonton, my stepmother was like really pressuring me to get a job, like a J-O-B. And my, like my family just generally felt like, well, you've done all this university and you played with with this idea or whatever. It's time to get on with it. They wanted to have me have a respectable job, like human resources or whatever. an office job basically yeah, like, wear a suit or whatever so I I 
directly said to my stepmother, I'm like, you do not actually need me to have a job. You need me to be productive and make money. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to make money the way I know how, which at the time was, there was nobody here doing solely natural hair. Natural the natural hair. hair movement kind of really hadn't hit Edmonton yet. It was coming, but it definitely wasn't here yet, I don't think. It seems very romantic when I'm like, oh, and then made. it seems like I made all of these decisions. But a lot of them were just, it was like life falling forward. Mm-hmm. And you just had to like do what was next. And I want to talk about, I, I know we're here to talk about women in business, but I do want to talk about natural hair just a little bit. And for our viewers and listeners, Nilo has done my hair. Uh, I only discovered this like when I was setting up this interview. I was like, I know her. So I went on and looked you know, on the internet, checked out your social media. I'm like, I am sure you've done my hair a couple of times. Yep. And then I found one of your products and I was having issues with my edges and some of the tips and advice that you gave me have really stayed with me and I continue to practice those. So what I want to talk about with your natural hair line is just your experience around that. What are some of the, I guess, some of the experience, some of your clients faced living in a place like Edmonton and having to leave out your hair? When you decided you were going to focus on natural hair, and like you said, there weren't that many stores then doing natural hair. How did you even feel that, you know, there'll be people out there who want to wear their natural hair and be proud to go to a salon to do it? I didn't. And everyone told me that there was no way for me to do natural hair without doing wigs and weaves in a way. Yeah, you know, because that's what everyone's doing. There's not a lot of people that, you know, specifically, exclusively doing natural hair. And since we did this way back. And that was one of the things I said that I got here. I was like, where are the Black people? Right. (laughs) um, I was in Beaumont. I was on the South Side. And both my brothers who date white women are like, what do you mean? We're everywhere. Like, what? And I was like, where? Okay. Y'all, right? And then my brother's roommate, who incidentally is white Canadian, was like, oh, you need to go to 118th Avenue and north of that. And I was like, oh, Oh, exactly. (laughs) And then, yeah, literally somebody um, asked me for a ride to that same salon. And when I walked in, there's all African people in there. It was all mm-hmm. Black people. Mm-hmm. So I know that if you drop me a pin in the middle of Black people, <laughs> that I can do hair. Like, I know that I can make money. And as long as people are doing the stuff that we know, as long as we're perming, as long as we're straightening, as long as there's crochet braids and braids, and as long as that stuff is going on, people are going to need to grow their hair back. Absolutely. And, uh, that's like, that's the basis of what I do. I'm like, oh, as long as you're right. Yeah, that's like a niche market right there. Really? Yeah, I will stand around and fix it. And that had allowed me. Now, before I came to the city, I called all of the um, hair salons that mm-hmm. were black hair salons in Edmonton. And I was like, I do this. I don't do any of that. And I'm coming. And a lot of them were like, with it because I had a product that I wasn't willing to use their own product. I was like, oh, I'll use my own stuff. They just, a lot of them weren't down or weren't willing. And I had the opportunity when I walked into that particular shop, I was like, okay, I don't do anything you do. Will you let me sit up here in the back? And she was like, sure. And then as you saw, like, it just took time for... Mm -hmm. 
my aesthetic, my design, like just kind of the feel of what I do to sort of take over that little space that I was in. And then it just grew from there. I had, I luckily have built a community and that is part of natural hair. Like it's really challenging to do without having a community behind you, supporting you, with you, and having those discussions and conversations. And it's been that community that has pushed me forward. It was um, one of my clients that was like, you shouldn't be behind in this um, salon. I have a place. Can you afford? At first, it was like $500 a month. Like, can you afford this? And when people looked at the area and looked at the space, it was in Abbotsfield. They were like, why are you going to go tucked up there? Like, nobody's going to know where you are. There's no street traffic here. I was like, I don't want street traffic. I am going to stay here. And I will, my clients, will, we book appointments. There's they no walking here. Yeah. Right. They'll come. Like, if I'm like, this is the address I'm at, they will come to the address. So, and they, everybody has managed to prove me right all of these years. I can't do it without my team. I couldn't do it without my community and for sure my clients. My very first client in Edmonton still volunteers for the events that I have. I still do hair. She still supports me. Everybody's not for everybody. I think one of the things about what I do is that I'm pretty real, which can, you know, East Coast real, which can sometimes not be nice. As we're used to interacting with it here, but yeah. it's not—it's not unkind, Absolutely. right? And it's not like rude, but it is a matter of being real and true yeah. to what you're feeling at any given time. I might not smile and be happy every day. I might—you might not feel a chirpy disposition every Absolutely. single day. Absolutely, um, but that is all part of sort of the realness of what we're doing here, and just you don't have to come anyway. I have a rule for little girls in the salon that you do not have to smile. So I will not tell you to smile. <laughs> That's a great rule because you do not have I, to smile. Oh, gee, I know how it is for little girls getting their hair done. I, I was yeah. once, me and you both, we were there once. So we know how it is. So no point yeah. in them do anything they don't want to do. So I want to start talking about some of the positives and the challenges that you experienced as you started to set up your business. So you've started to talk about having that community support, like you were fortunate, there were people who just reached out and supported you, volunteered to help you out. I want to talk about a bit more about that. So in terms of getting support, I have to say that now that person volunteers with me and supports. In the beginning, she was just a client like everybody else. I think that (laughs) this is tough to say, like just you for a while. Yeah. And wrapping your mind around that actually may help to get things done a little bit. There were times where I tantrumed in terms of having to do it alone. Like I felt like I deserved to have somebody helping me. I felt like I had worked hard enough that, um, and I was clear enough in my vision that I deserved it, you Mm, know, like, yeah. because you worked like, hard for it, so therefore, hard for it, right? Yeah. And I've done it before, and I have history. And you know, at first, people are like, "Oh, you need a business plan." So then, when you write a business plan, then they're like, "I found that they were like, yeah. oh, you need to be a business for one year, and then two years, and then five years.' Like, wow. it's kind of like this carrot that keeps on moving forward. <laughs> In terms of like health. It sounds really bad, but nobody's coming. Like the thing that has 
garnish the help that I've gotten is the people who are prone to working have seen me working and mm. then come to work as well. But in terms of the, nobody's going to do it. If you're not working hard for yourself, nobody's going to work hard for you. It's like, oh, absolutely. That is word right there. And I think that goes for everything else in life. If you're a student, if you work, you know, in business or anywhere else, or you're trying to set up your own business, if you are not out there working hard for yourself, like you said. Nobody's going to help you. No one's going to do it. I have to say, I cannot say this, stress this enough, paying and compensating people specifically, like, with what work you need the first person I hired was an accountant and I made sure I was able to pay her before I paid myself every single month that it was like period so I think that that has gone a long way in terms of me getting help that I need like people are pretty sure that they'll be compensated either directly financially sometimes we like to feel like people should volunteer but and and also like when you start doing business all your friends and family feel like you need to do things for them for free. Yeah. So there's a certain amount. I'm like, this is probably, I'm probably not the best person to talk about this, but there's a certain amount of service that's like, like payment mm-hmm. almost that you have to. And of course, this is a personal beliefs, I guess. And I, I don't think that this is any business book, but a certain amount of giving back, a certain amount of free, definitely, that yeah. you have to do. Uh, but I also think it's important for people to understand that if you can afford to, you definitely need to pay people for their work. I'm at a level that I definitely, I'm not at a place where I can't, like, I don't pay, I have to pay people for their work. But even in the beginning, sometimes that free is how I got people to do things for me. Uh, so it's like, yeah, I'll definitely do your hair for free, but I also need you to do X, Y, Z. So in yeah. that way, like, I... But it's not totally that. free then. Right. I used it like a barter, pretty mm-hmm. much. Like, I'm not going to do about something, something. Yeah, right? I, I will put that in my business book, even if it's not in any business <laughs> book out there. I'll choose yeah. to put it in my business book and call it strategy. I, I appreciate that, but that was definitely my strategy. Like the people who are gonna want stuff for free, like my nephew came yesterday to get his hair done. Uh, he's not gonna pay me. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Like, totally. My brother, like you yeah. know, like your family, they're yeah, not no. gonna pay you. They're like, not they, going to. The fact that they're even like coming to you to get that thing done is to me like huge because absolutely even being in hair, I've had brothers who have like gone other places to get their hair done or cut or whatever and you're like dang I'm right here (laughs) so even if they're like utilizing your service it's almost like that's a part where you're giving in terms of giving to your community but then also using that as leverage to like have them do stuff for you for sure like no matter what that is pick up something deliver it like yeah give them a task even yeah absolutely I want to talk about I think we've started to touch on this, but just in your personal opinion and from your personal experience, why do you think that Black women struggle with starting their own business? Like, why do they feel like... I feel like sometimes a lot of us, just based on conversations I've had with a number of women, Mm -hmm. recently especially, they just feel like they don't have that support out there. So they have the vision, they have the dream, but they yeah. can't, they can't take the next step to kick it off. One of my mantras 
is start where you are with what you have and do what you can. It's definitely something that if you have come to the salon or if people have come to the salon, they'll know that it changes all the time. But a lot of the reason why it changes all the time is I don't have the money in the beginning to give you what my vision is. So I'll mm-hmm. give you what I can give you and just keep working. So maybe it. that's what it is. Like we're waiting for perfection when we right. can just work with progress, with a little bit yeah. of progress, with what we yeah. have So the thing about that, ending my first year with like $3,000 in the plus, I think I made a total of like $6,000, I think maybe that first first year. year? Yeah, I was going to people's houses and literally making golden cream in my kitchen and um, selling and just doing your hair, you know, from house to house. So my accountant was so happy that wow. I made that, that I was in the green. Like, he was like, wow, your first year. Wow. wow. Cool. Yes. And I was like, who's going? <laughs> out of here. Does that have to pay tax? What's going on? Like, yeah. what's up? So, um, you know, it was taking that and then, like, being able to, like, inch forward and start where you are with what you have and just, like, working it little by little and my personal house is not that it's not big like I you know my space is quite small my vehicle has been is my dad's vehicle so it's been paid off since like 2005 it's a a 2000 Toyota 4Runner I really spend most of my money back into the business which is Specifically, I guess if you go to university, they call it profit reinvestment. Yeah. So that is the majority of the growth has been just when I had, I started with a pound of shea butter and a liter of avocado oil and then taking that pound of shea butter and, and buying two, two pounds and two liters wow. and, and going from there till we have a whole wall of products. But um, there have been financial infusions into the business but every infusion into the business has been to sort of level up a step if that makes any sense yeah it does can you break it down for us just a little bit more those activities or those steps that you use to grow your business to the stage that it is right now the first thing that I started with was constantly like looking to make sure where the money that I was already spending in terms of overhead was actually like serving me the way that I needed it to. And when I moved into the salon, I was in a commission base at that point. So I was doing 50-50 with the store owner. It may have been 60-40, but it was like one of those numbers. I did that until what I was making was more than the rent that she was going to charge me if I was just making like chair rental pretty much that's typically how salons work so at that point like 50% of my income would have been like once it hit about $800 so that'd be like once I was at like $1,600 a month I was like okay from now instead of paying I'm going to pay either pay her $800 as 50% or I'm going to pay her $800 as a chair rental. And then that was the point that I had um, the client that was like, well, I have 500 square feet for $500. And it wasn't necessarily like, I mean, it wasn't Jasper Ave, obviously. So it was just like, 
you know, it was a space, it was in Abbotsfield. And to be honest with you, I prefer um, neighborhoods anyway, more than like more commercial streets. streets. Yeah. 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 Um, so I was there for about two years. And in my time there, we were able to grow exponentially. But the production was getting to be an issue. Like I had literally one sink and was like, use putting a board on top of the sink in order to have a counter space wow oh yeah make make products that way you know it got it definitely got it was like too much and then we some other great things happened um (laughs) there was actually a situation where there's somebody defrauded a lot of the people in that same place that we were yeah oh, boy. the reason why I said it was a great thing is that like I was really close to like putting money down to committing to the space but then was kind of realistic about that 500 square feet and how it was working and at this point my client base probably was like at around 400 or so clients so wow. I yeah I'd done so one of the things that I can also say like just a tip is to keep a database of your clients, um, a running database of your clients. Those those people who you touched once, it's never one touch. And they'll always tell somebody about you. Absolutely. There's one person on either end. And well, what I've been doing is creating an ecosystem yes. of Afro-centered events and um, businesses and connections. Like, yeah. That is a big thing that I was able to do. So when I moved, it was never like starting from scratch because it was like, hey, everybody, we're moving. And people just were like, okay, ready to go. Obviously, there was like some changeover issues. People don't like driving to new places. Everywhere is far. You know, you can complain about that stuff, but it's going to happen regardless. And it's usually like not the maximum. Like it's not most of your clients, right? I would have to say at the end of my year at that uh, location, I was, I had probably made around $60,000 for the entire year, like net. So I kind of went from $6,000 one year to like a whole 60 the next year. Oh my goodness, girl. Um, and that was the first year in that 500 square foot space that I was like, um, at around there. Wow. And then the next year, um, was our second year in that space was when we were able to clear, um, that six figure number in the low hundred thousands. And at that point, now mind you, like, like I said, everything that, everything goes right back into the business. But also what that means is, as I said, I was starting from buying a a pound of shea butter for about $10, right? So now I have the ability to get 50 pounds of shea butter for $125. But in the beginning, you might not have that $125 to spend. Mm -hmm. So that's how I mean, like, in terms yeah. of increasing buying more things wholesale even like that kind of widened the profit margins as i went along we closed down for the month of february um in 2019 to focus on getting a new space which we didn't get yet it was a lot of of racism that we went through in the process from mm-hmm. the banking issue to the real estate issues and the challenge with that with racism period in Alberta is that there's no policy around um around racism I like thought the I, city created something recently on racism. I don't know if the city did but the province is still having conversation about it like as of now and specifically right now the conversations around education 
I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what accountability looks like. I did have like a racist interaction with the BBC that was documented and all the CBC mm-hmm. came and covered it. But the CBC said my full name, but didn't say who the bank that I dealt with. Like, which is the business of all Bank of Canada? So if they were able to discriminate against me, I'm pretty mm. sure I'm not the only one who's had that experience. Oh, I'm sure. I've done a couple episodes on racism too, yeah. I think. You know, I can only imagine what that yeah. what that would be yeah. like. On the top of everything else you have to deal with. The guy was literally like, is this a nappy hair business? Is that what you're talking about? This is nappy hair? And I was like, excuse me, sir? And then I literally explained to him, like, in the community, wow. we can use that. Outside of the community, it's not appropriate. And then what it came down to was like everybody kind of hears it and they're like oh wow but really what it came down to is me and my business not having the opportunity to be considered for a loan like not being turned down for a loan not being considered for a loan not even given a chance not even a chance like they didn't even allow me to fill out the application when was this how far back was this uh, we've passed the two-year mark. Okay. I think it's been about two years. October would be would have been the, the two years. That was a tough month, I guess, to have off. And then we wound up getting this miraculous space that has been a complete dream come true in March of 2019. So um, we have we signed a 10-year lease on 124th Street, 115th Ave. Okay, mm-hmm. so for our listeners, go check out Nilo and her aphrodisiac natural shop at 124th Street and 115th Avenue. I want to talk a little bit more, Nilo, about racism because I think that that could also be a challenge as to why women do not go into business or other leadership positions. You know, I was listening to this documentary recently by YWCA and Women in Politics in uh, Edmonton. And we apparently have less than 35 women counselors ever in Edmonton in a hundred years. And obviously way more men in that time. So I wanna talk a bit more about that, about racism and just what, how, you, how you dealt with that. Like, what are some of the things that you did? And, and what advice in general do you even have? Like, when women come across these challenges, what, how can they navigate through them? I, I don't have advice. Yeah, I cried a lot. I, w- I called yeah. it what it was. I think that that is important. I think especially Absolutely. as women in particular, we tend to, like, internalize our um experiences and sort of flip it back on ourselves sometimes those experiences are really painful particularly racism is really painful so it can elicit like um emotional response from us and sometimes that emotional response itself is used to deplete the underlying issue which is the Mm -hmm. thing that made the response happen in the first place and elicited the first place so I think like being true to my emotions calling it what it was and I think that's huge though I know you said you don't have any advice to give but that's advice that's huge because a lot of us myself included yeah when we approach racist comments whether it's covert or overt we just Mm kind of just don't do anything many times especially if it's in a work or business type environment 
Right. And I think it's important to remember that we make a lot of decisions based on our safety, um, financial, economic, physical That's fair. safety. Absolutely. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that either. Luckily, and I've had white women say to my black friends, like, she better be careful because she has a business. So um, you never know what could happen to the business just because right. I'm as outspoken as I am. And wow. I was like, oh, you know, the thing about me being out here in the wild, essentially, is that my clients know exactly who I am and that, that my business, my brand is really based on who I am. The reason that I'm a part of Melanistic is based on who I am. I'm very direct and very, very forward um, with that. So I had to, like, get over being, like, a bitch or the angry, excuse my language, I'm sorry, yeah. but the angry black woman trope. Yes. Like, I had to be okay with being that. Yeah, that stereotype. Yeah. Yeah. And be like, okay, like I see that you've painted this trope, but I know who the angry black woman is. Like, she's the person who's not getting the proper service at the bank. She's the person who, like, there's a reason why we have these outbursts where we do have them. And Anger and outrage gets a lot of things done. So I think that it's definitely important to understand that, like, it's totally cool that even in terms of your hair, like, when it comes down to it, people make decisions based on survivability, like, their ability to get by in the world and secure their economic situation. It just yeah. happens to be that we live in this place where even for you to call out somebody's racism, it ends up with a white, usually man, but probably woman being the one to say, yes, that's racist or no, that's not racist, right? So yeah. it kind of, I can understand that frustration and why people do make those decisions. So in all that you've told us, very great, excellent tips that you've given us, what would you say are your top advice to women trying to venture into owning a business or starting whatever it is that they want to start? What are your top three advice or maybe top must-have skills that you think oh. women should have before they venture into business? Well, I think that number one is the ability to trust yourself and your vision. Nobody can see what you can see. And oftentimes, if you're drawn to business or if you have an idea or if you have, an, if you have a vision, what that means is that you are or have the ability of foresight. Like you have the ability to see things before they come to fruition, before people see that it's happening. It might be really challenging to explain to people what is going on or what this thought that you have and oftentimes being on the cutting edge means that you're there before people so mm -hmm. trusting yourself and your vision is like number 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 one and you know the underlying we're saying women in business and black women in business so we talked a lot about racism but pa the patriarchy and sexism definitely messes up with whether or not you trust your vision. So I have to say number one is trust your vision. Number two is work as hard for yourself as you do for other people. We have a tendency to even run ourselves at a deficit to help other people. And I, I definitely don't recommend that. So putting yourself first is a really challenging thing to do as a Black 
woman, and even I struggle with self-care up to now, but working for yourself, like as hard as you work for other people. So work ethic is very big. And then number three, I want to say something fun and soft, like self-care, but I think that the third major thing for me would be trusting in other women in business. Honestly, because we're also kind of raised, because we're raised in the, and steeped in patriarchy, we tend to have this sort of male-centered idea as it was. Yeah, raised. implicit bias that we many times don't even know we're doing. Yeah, and we Absolutely. carry ourselves and, and we affect ourselves. So when we're looking for like the person in charge, oftentimes that we are like pandering to the males in the mm-hmm. room. I think it's important Mm -hmm. that we sort of connect to that power of being female and being like really the head, like as women, we are the head of culture because we're the ones who decide it. We're the ones who, we're the ones who pass it down to the children. We are the the one who accepted the culture, right? And then decided to raise all the kids in it. That's powerful. Thank you. So I want to do the same thing for community. Excellent advice for us at, at an individual level at a community level, so organization level, what advice do you have for other businesses and institutions to integrate diversity and promote women in business in your business model, your goals, your organization culture? So the first thing um, when promoting women in business and increasing cultural diversity in business is um, making sure that the environment itself is conducive to um, listen to the things they have to say. There's this thing that we do with race as well as with gender, I guess, gender, or sexuality. Yeah. So we tend to like tokenize people, bring them in. And then when they point out the very obvious issues with the system, we get rid of them. And I'm not talking about we, that's actually how like a lot of white institutions work. I think that number one is really having an environment that's conducive and for that person to be able to effectively not necessarily call out but call in the company and be prepared if you bring somebody who is diverse or is a woman onto your team that you may have to make other changes within your structure in order to support their advancement so huge Nilo. you're so the right person to be having this conversation i think it's huge police officers talk about this in your organization right like if you are the person who's a tattletale who says something and then everybody gangs up against you and next thing you know you're out but yeah. you're the one who said something they're not yeah come and back you up like so yeah. this is huge i hope people will relate to this i hope this will resonate with a lot of our women and organizations out there who are trying to increase women representation because you can't you have to have the system work you can't have just bring the woman to be the quota or the token and this goes for black people not just women but well. We're talking about women in business, so I'm narrowing it down for our conversation today, but this can be broadly applied to any other cultures and any other diversity, right? Because you don't want to bring the person there, and then they have challenges with a boss or a colleague, and then it looks like it's- You're not supported, right? You're not supported. Um, They are the problem, in fact. Then it looks like you're here, and all these things are happening, so maybe you need to leave. So so huge that this is an advice that organizations and businesses will take and implement. So I want to wrap up our conversation today and thank you so much. I've been taking massive notes. What advice would you give to your younger self? And if there was one message that you could give to people listening to the podcast today, 
what would that message be? I think that my one message is for women in business, but definitely young women thinking about going into business, is that it's okay to be selfish in the execution of your goals and your plans. Um, oftentimes, we kind of lay down our goals for whatever societal expectations may have oh, of us or to please our parents or the people around us. And sometimes it's just seeming a certain way. We don't want to come off of a certain way. Yeah, we don't so want to be too aggressive, right? We don't want to be too assertive. So it's breaking kind of those generational curses, sort of engaging into things that at first might feel really uncomfortable, but being okay being selfish and I use this analogy a lot like if you're in an airplane and the plane's going down one of the first things they tell you is to put the mask on yourself first and I think that that is a thing that we have a problem doing as young women and especially as young black women we tend to be caregivers to other people first so that is a big thing. And really the most important thing is just as kind and encouraging as we are to outside people who are not, when I say outside people, I mean, not ourselves. So I think that there's um, a level of practice, diligence and discipline that has to go into caring for yourself when it comes to the internal words that we use to motivate ourselves. Thank you so much, Nino. That is really important. And allow me to quickly add that this selfish that you're talking about is so crucial. Think Thank about you. this. Let me just paint a picture for our viewers and listeners right now. Do you think if a man was going for a job interview, he's thinking about how the kids will get to school? Right. Who's going to cook and clean the next day? Or if I take this job, will I be able to get up early to do this and do that? I don't think so. And there's tons of research to show that. So I think it's so crucial that we try to be a little bit selfish. When it yeah, comes. especially now in the pandemic. There's many women whose whole careers have been stinted by having to stay home with the kids. Yes. The guys aren't really, th what they're thinking about is where they can work quietly in the home. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Nino. It's been an absolute pleasure and honor. Thank you so, so much for having me. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, guys. Thank you for sticking around to the end of the podcast. I truly appreciate you listening to the very end. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give the podcast a thumbs up by rating an Apple podcast or wherever you listen to the podcast. You can also subscribe to the podcast on YouTube and send me your feedback over there too. Don't forget to share the podcast with your friends, family, and everyone else. I'll see you in the next episode.